0: again, good to see you. And we are continuing our series that we started just a few weeks ago in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at this topic of the kingdom. So we're going to draw from several different passages. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow there in the bulletin, kind of drawn from here and there. We're going to start off in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have heard me say this before, uh, I, I'm not one of those people that typically gets in great conversations on flights, I don't fly a lot anyway, some of you fly a lot in your work, but I have friends that just get in these massive conversations on flights, they sit next to somebody and they talk about God and life and what happens after death and, you know, I'll sit down and go, hey, how you doing? They'll say, good, you know, and that's, that's it till, till we land. But one time I uh, was sitting next to a woman and uh, really, we hadn't taken off yet and started making small talks. She said, what do you do? And usually that kills it, but I told her I'm a, I'm a pastor, and, and she, she, it didn't scare her off, and so we kept chatting. And so anyway, so at some point during the flight, she said, look, here's my question, and, I, and if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she identified herself as not a religious person. But she said, here's my question. If you've got the spectrum of human beings, and I think she used the examples of, let's say over here you've got Hitler And over here you've got, I think she said Mother Teresa. What is the cutoff? Like, Who gets in and who doesn't? And I thought, that's a great way to to ask it. What I wanted to look at this morning is where Jesus is answering that question. And as I said, what we're trying to unpack, Matthew is a huge book. We're not going to study the whole book, but we're using the Gospel of Matthew... (laughs) To, to, to delve more into this thing that's just such a big deal in the Bible, such a big deal in the New Testament, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Um, and here's what I want you to think about. On the one hand, the way Jesus talks about the kingdom and other writers talk about the kingdom, it is something that has an ultimate realizing of it, an ultimate experiencing of it in the future. And we're going to talk about that hopefully later but you enter it on this side of death. You come is, Entering the kingdom of heaven is not something that the good people do when they die and something happens on the other side and they enter the kingdom of heaven. You enter the kingdom of heaven in this life. So, back to the question, who enters it? Let's look at... The Gospel of Matthew. What I want to do is just read these first two verses. These are both from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we call them the Sermon on the Mount. And then I want to refer to these other passages to round things out. But let's look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we often do, we come to you and we ask for help. Uh, we, We would also say thank you that we get to do what we're about to do. Thank you for the Bible and thank you for it in our language. Thank you that we can sit calmly. Thank you that we're not refugees. Um, Thank you that we may meet peaceably. Thank you for the gospel of Matthew. Thank you for how Jesus was so truthful that it both uh, gives us joy and rattles us to our core. Would you open our ears to hear you, to hear him, to see what you'd have us see. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you this. And, and even as I'm asking the question, I want to say, first off, this is not asked to be funny because this really, this may have touched your life very directly and and, uh, and it's not funny. But have you ever heard of someone in your circle of contacts, people, uh, or maybe it was some, you know, one or two points of contact. Have you ever heard of someone who was an avid, let's say, avid runner, exercised what we would call religiously, and then in their 40s they had a heart attack and died? You ever heard of something like that? I heard about one recently. Have you ever heard about someone who was just so careful about what they ate, really careful about what we put in our bodies, whether they were vegan or some modified form of that, so careful, not eating junk food all the time. And in their, let's say, 50s, they developed cancer and they died. Um, That's very jarring to hear that. And I might even use the, the word surprising because, I mean, even though I think we all know the lines are not always just this exact, we're surprised that somebody that was so careful... They ate good food, they drank water, they never smoked, the whole thing, and they got cancer. And this person doesn't. Uh, this person was in, did triathlons and, and they died of heart disease. We're surprised by it. And, and again, I say, this, I say this carefully, but I think something of that surprise inside of us and, and how we're jarred by that must have been what it was like to hear Jesus talk about who actually enters the kingdom. Because he'll surprise you with who doesn't, and he'll surprise you with who does. And that's the way I want to look at, this, at, at these texts this morning, is, again, the theme is the kingdom of heaven, and we're thinking this morning about who enters the kingdom of heaven. So I, I want to think about it in terms of the surprising outsiders who don't enter, or, or have not yet entered, and the surprising insiders who, who do, or who have. So let, let's think first about the outsiders. Who are they? Let me start with this second verse, chapter 7, verse 21. Um, just, just look at the first phrase. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may have heard that verse before. You may not have. I will say in my own life as someone who grew up in the church, when I was in my mid-teens, that verse was like a grenade in my insides. I first heard that verse, I think, about late ninth grade, and I thought, whoa, because I thought I had figured out this awesome sort of loophole, (laughs) like that I'll be pro-Jesus and I'll like Jesus and I'll call him Lord And I'll kind of do what I want. But he's sort of over a barrel because I've called him Lord. And I, you know, sort of in some way believe in him. And when I read those words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, I felt like I had been singled out. But it may be that you've heard this verse and you're not surprised by this, that like, you know, sometimes the guy who's out, I'm not thinking of any of our people when I say this, by the way, but like the guy who's handing out bulletins out in front of the church going like, how's everybody doing today? You know, Lord gave us a beautiful Sunday, didn't he? And he's not, he's fake. He's not real. This has nothing to do with the rest of his life. That may not necessarily surprise us because we're used to this, we're used to the fact that there's hypocrites in the church. So maybe we're not totally surprised to hear that people who say what's correct don't enter the kingdom. But the other one I think is jarring. Because Jesus doesn't just say that it people who say what's correct don't necessarily enter. Then he says, people who do what's correct sometimes don't enter the kingdom of God. Look at the first verse again. Chapter 5, verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is where it's really important to jump out of our heads and out of our cultural setting and think about What did that sound like to the first people that heard it? Because for us, if you've been around the Bible, and especially if you've been around the Gospels, the Pharisees, over and over, are what? They're the bad guys. So if you hear Jesus say something critical about the Pharisees, you know, I think when we hear Jesus say, you've got to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, we're going, yeah, everybody knows that. They're jerks. That is not how it landed to the original hearers. The Pharisees started out with very noble goals. They looked at a culture that's supposed to be the people of God. They looked at a nation that's supposed to be the people of God, is the people of God, the apple of his eye, and they're looking around in apathy about the Word of God, in apathy about the law of God, apathy about the covenants. They said, look, th- this is not pretend. This is God, and we are His people, and this is His Word, and we are to buy into it with all of our being. That's how the Pharisees started. They were the separated ones. When Jesus says, you've got to be more righteous than Pharisees, that, I think people must have despaired. It would, I think it would be like if you signed up for one of these exercise boot camp kind of classes. And so like let's say you go to this boot camp class at five forty five in the morning or something unholy like that. And 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 the first morning you go, there's this screen up in the big workout room with the you know, with the rings hanging down and weights everywhere. And let's say you just got this fired up woman instructor And, and so she says, All right, everybody gather around this screen and so she shows you clips from American Ninja Warrior. And, um, and so you're watching American Ninja Warrior and you're thinking, okay, she's getting us fired up about like how fit we're going to be. She turns off the clip and says, let me tell you something on the front end. If your fitness doesn't quickly exceed those people's, I will personally drop you from this class. You would think, I'm not trying to get in special forces. I want to lose like 10 pounds. I'm not signing up for this to be my full-time job. This is something maybe I can do one hour on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You would despair that, not just, I'm going to get you to that level. That would probably make us despair. You must surpass that. That must have been what it was like for a first century Jew to hear. Your righteousness must exceed, not match, that of the scribes and the Pharisees, or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. People who don't, not just people who say to Jesus. He says, not everyone who says to me, Jesus. There are people who say to Jesus, Lord, and they don't enter. There are people who study the scriptures in depth and pray and tithe and therefore the institution of marriage and on and on and on, and and they don't enter the kingdom of heaven. If that surprises us, it should. And I think it's worth saying, what would be the most target-rich environment for finding those people? Probably the churched South. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to make the whole service ominous. Like, I really don't know if any of you really have entered. But here's the reality... Because elders are just, we're just sinful men. When we admit people into the church, sometimes without meaning to, knowing to, we might admit people who can say the right things and even have a, a, a real coherence and stability about their life and they're pro church and they're pro Bible and seem to be pro Jesus and really have not entered. So then who question is, who enters? According to the Messiah, who has entered the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Let let me go back to chapter 7, verse 21. Excuse me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But here's the positive. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So here's the template. Jesus says, it's not just somebody, Jesus, Jesus, Lord, Lord, that enters the kingdom. It's the person who does, Jesus says, the will of my Father. That's the person who enters the kingdom. So then, now what's the question? What is doing the will of the Father? Because he doesn't define it. What does it look like to do the will of the Father? And that's why I wanted to show you this other passage... This is from later in the gospel. I want you to look on the other page at the top, chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. And Jesus tells a parable. And in some ways, this parable is like a commentary on Matthew 7, 21. Short little parable here, chapter 21, verse 28. Jesus asked, What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, by the way, the them are Jewish religious leaders. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Now this just threw everything on its head. Because Jesus said, again, what he's already said, the only way you enter is if you do the will of the Father. And then he says t- to like what seemed to be the most godly people, you presently have not entered the kingdom. You want me to tell you who has? Do you want me to tell you who's already ahead of you in line and who's gone in? The tax collectors and the prostitutes you got to do the will of the Father. The prostitutes have gone in ahead of you. How do we put this together? Let, let me put a question back on the table. What does it look like? What does it look like to do the will of the Father? Because somehow prostitutes had done that and gone in. Now, what? Everything in me wants to run ahead and go, but they're not prostitutes anymore. They stopped doing that. He just... I do do believe that. But all he says is, the prostitutes have gone in. Question on the table. What does it look like to do the will of the Father? And I want to look at this one other passage at the bottom of the page. Chapter 12, verse 46. While he, Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And Matthew doesn't say this, but one of the other gospel writers says, they went to go find him because they thought he had come unhinged. He's just running around and he's teaching and like literally seems to have a Messiah complex. So they did what families do, like, let's go get him and let's bring him home. Verse 48. uh, Verse 48. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Look at this, verse 49. Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, who were sitting around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Did you know he said that? And again, the other gospel writers, they give us this account, a little more detail that people are sitting all around him. This house is full of people. His family can't come in. Someone sends a messenger. Would you tell Jesus his family is outside? And just like Jesus, take the terms of the conversation and flip it around. Who is my family? Who is my mother and my brothers? And he gestures to the people sitting around him, which must have included women, which rabbis in that day did not do that did not have women students, disciples. Here are my mother and my sisters and my brothers who do the will of the Father. Now, here's where I would love for you to really zero in. Question on the table, what is it to do the will of the Father? It's everything. It's the whole life that Jesus calls people to in His kingdom. Well, that covers so much ground. Where do we start? Where I want to start is, where does doing the will of the Father begin? And all the signals seem to point to this. Doing the will of the Father begins with listening to Jesus. Listening to Him. Here are people, and they're not technically doing anything for the kingdom of God, and Jesus says... These people are doing the will of my Father. These people are my mom and my sisters and my brothers. Think about this. Um, uh, A sort of famous part of the Gospels is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this mountain. And for just a few moments, he stops looking like a Judean peasant. And he looks like what he's always been. God the Son. He emits his own light. And no, no one knows what to do. And Peter says funny things, because that's what Peter does. And a, a cloud comes on the mountain. It's the, it's the glory cloud. And God, this is one of the only times he does this in the Gospels, audibly says something to them. What does he say? This is my beloved son. And then he says one other thing. And Matthew and Mark, Luke, all record this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And that sounds obvious, and it's not. I, I was kind of blown away by um, a friend who said, he's, his daughter, when she was, I think, about middle school age, he was talking. He was. He was telling her something in the house, and when he was talking to her, she did this. She. She went because why? Why? Why would like an eleven year old girl do that to him? Because he did that to her. She did it back to him, and he just kind of went. Oh. You know, there's a way for us to act like we're listening. It's, it's hilarious. Parents all think our children don't know when we're doing that, and they all know when we're doing it. You know, when you're going, that sounds great. I just told you I got beat up at school. You know, it wasn't great. It was bad. At the risk of being melodramatic, you know, Jesus comes to people like us and says, if you do not hate your father and your mother, and your sister, and your brother, and even your own life. You cannot be my disciple. You know what? There's a way to be in the church, and kind of pro-Christianity, and as he's saying that, to kind of be going, got it, right. And not hear what he's saying. That if you do not, now this is a Jewish way of talking, It's a Semitic expression. If you do not have a love and a commitment to me that makes all your other loves and commitments pale in comparison, you cannot be my disciple. And everything rests on being his disciple. It's not easy to listen to Jesus. It's not easy to listen to Jesus even when you have listened to him and entered the kingdom. And I'll tell you that one from experience. You can look at your own life and go, why am I not changing in this area? Why, 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 am I so, why am I so easily angered? Everything gets on my nerve. Why am I so easily angered? And Jesus is coming over to us and He's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we can kind of be going, I know, I know. I've just got to work on my anger. Listen to Him. I mean, honestly, the reason that this is worthwhile, the reason, and I mean in particular the sermon, it's worthwhile to sing to God and give to God and pray to God and confess to God, but I mean, the reason this is worthwhile, the reason it's worthwhile to meet in a home and gather around the Word of God, the reason it's worthwhile to open it and to read is because that... That's how entering the kingdom of God starts. And honestly, that's how you change. When Jesus said, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, on the one hand, that means to enter heaven, you have to have a perfect righteousness... You have to give the righteousness that only I can give you. But you know what? It also means in this life, you actually do have to be godlier than a scribe and a Pharisee. Which means, you know what you have to do? You have to actually love people. And love is awesome. And love is hard. And the only way that we're going to really love is if God's love transforms us. Well, how does God's love transform us? As we understand what He's up to and who He is and what He's doing. And you know what leads to that? Listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus. But I, I want to end on this note. I, what would make me sad would be if someone heard this and they kind of left here going like, I, I don't think I've been good at listening to Jesus. So, because what that would mean is, we did not really give you good, good news this morning. What we left you with was, you better get your tail and gear and listen to Jesus. G- I mean, at one level, that's true. But something kind of dawned on me late in my sermon preparation process. And sometimes the best thing is the most obvious thing. The thing you don't notice is the most obvious thing. You know what finally hit me like Friday? Who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? It's not a trick question. Like who's buried in Grant's tomb, you know? (laughs) Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. What was Matthew when Jesus found him? He was a tax collector. And, it, and I, don't, I, don't, I know this is speculative, but it must have been great. I wish I could see Matthew writing this part down where Jesus says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going in ahead of you. He must have been going, they are. <laughs> they are. They have. And I, I really want that to encourage us. I mean, you might be here and again I don't say this lightly you may be a prostitute you may hit your spouse you uh, you may uh, you may hate members of your family you may be doing things with money illegally that no one knows about and you may be someone who has entered the kingdom and does believe in Jesus, but you keep looking at parts of your life like we all do, going, why am I not changing? thought I'd be further along by now. And here, here is, I think, the big takeaway this morning. Listen to Jesus. Let's not do the, yeah, 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 you came to give us life abundant, but like to hear him, hey, I came to give you life abundant. Hey, if if you eat my flesh and drink my blood... By the way, he said that years before he instituted this. You do it by faith. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life. You'll be satisfied. You will change. Let's pray that God would enable us, even today, right now, to listen to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it seems like it would be easy to listen... It's not, and we probably have flattered ourselves that we're good at it or that we have been doing this more than we have. Holy Spirit, open our ears in whatever condition we come. If we come and think that we are too bad to enter the kingdom, would you enable us to hear Jesus saying, prostitutes have gone in? If we're not changing... And we're sad and we're depressed and we wonder, we are just so discouraged that we could ever be different. Or, Jesus, would we hear you saying, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Come to me. Would you enable us to hear you and be transformed? For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.